6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. All right, lots to get to on this shortened version of 6.30 Chet Afternoons today because we're making way for the Oilers game taking on uh, the Stars uh, City Ford Faceoff show at 6.30 or at 5, puck drop at 6.30. On the show today, we're keeping an eye on what's uh, more bad weather heading towards B.C. It's trying to recover, rebuild from the mess, from the fallout, from that atmospheric river that dumped all that rain uh, on the province uh, just over over a week ago another one is being forecast but what exactly is an atmospheric river well we're going to dial up the expert the guy who has dedicated his life to this and we'll talk to him coming up just after four at 3 30 the province going to unveil its plans on how the uh, vaccine rollout will be for kids age 5 to 11 you'll hear it live right here on 6 30 chad plus if you were listening this morning, you heard this live as well. Uh, the throne speech outlining Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's agenda for a third mandate. It was a shorter speech uh, than normal. It was delivered by Governor General Mary Simon and had, you know, let's be real, had very few surprises in it, if any. It, it pretty much recaps the promises Trudeau's Liberals made during the recent federal election, focusing on finishing the fight against COVID-19, rebuilding what they call a resilient, fairer greener economy wanted to get into this take a closer look at it with university of windsor political scientist dr lydia miljohn dr miljohn welcome back to the show thank you it's, it's nice to be here now you're, you're at, at first glance dr miljohn uh, your first glance uh, what you heard what you saw on the throne speech today i mean my first glance was that it wasn't much more than the talking points that we heard during the campaign yeah, no, same old, same old. I mean, it's not much different than the last throne speech we had, which <laughs> which wasn't very long ago. The only difference is we just have a, a really the only way I can think of there's a difference is that the new governor general uh, and Mary Simon is delivering it, and that was the big. I think the headline is that we have uh, the new GG, and she not only gave it the two official languages, but she also spoke in her native language, which was which was quite nice. Um, and it was rather short. It, it really just focused on some of the agenda items that they were signaling this week um, but clearly they are moving forward with what they campaigned on during the summer and they're you know the top of the list of climate change reconciliation um, a little bit about the economy surprisingly not much on inflation which I think a lot mm-hmm. of people are concerned about and, and obviously they're really focusing on their feminist agenda and child care as a way to um, get people back to work and we know that uh, the opposition was really uh, pushing and a lot of business organizations as well pushing for a more detailed or more robust outline on on the economic recovery but we didn't see that today no and I don't think we're going to see that until we get to the budget um you know they really again they just released that as well this this all seems like a a fruitless enterprise or exercise <laughs> that we've been going through since the election. I mean, it was a pointless election and nothing's really changed uh, except we just have the, the pomp and, and circumstance of having yet another speech from the throne. But obviously they've got a few things that they want to do really quickly, like their conversion therapy ban. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they want to move on a few files, but really this is going to be a very short um, sitting. It's only, I think 19 days mm. uh, before they break for, for Christmas and, and then um, they'll probably reset again at some point in January and 
and start working towards um, budget negotiations and budget, budget deliberations. And I think that's where we're really going to see if they're going to have much of an economic plan for the for the rest of the country, especially considering that they reannounced the the hard cap um, and reduction in oil and gas emissions. You know, they mm-hmm. have to have a plan moving forward, and that's not something they can do in 19 days. No, definitely not. Uh, but uh, I, I know front and center, you know, across the country, I think, you know, you just read, you talk about it, we talk about supply change, we look change, we uh, chains, we look at inflation, we look at costs, all of these things going up and Canadians are now going, okay, we think we're coming out of this pandemic. Uh, we need to know how things are going to settle down again and that cost of living is, is going to get down because I, I really do believe that is something right now that is top of mind for many, many people. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a couple things going on that, you know, it's, it's kind of rich that the government saying, well, we didn't cause inflation. It's like, wait a minute, you know, when you print money like it's going out of style, that is an inflationary pressure. The question is, you know, are our supply issues, supply chain issues causing a temporary inflation? Um, or has our, you know, increased government spending and printing of money caused sort of permanent inflation or a policy towards a tra- trajectory of inflation continually going up? And I think we really are going to have to see what happens when those bottlenecks um, start to be released. And some economists are suggesting that, you know, this um, supply chain disruption right now is going to mean that we're going to have a glut of um, products, you know, in six to eight months down the road when, when everything loosens up. And so we're going to have to see to what extent this is a temporary thing because of COVID and to what extent it's a structural thing because of government um, putting too much money into the economy. Dr. Lydia Miljohn joining me this afternoon. Lydia, we, we, we talked um, about, you know, climate change. We've talked about uh, inflation. Uh, one of the things that uh, was also brought up when we talk about kind of the same old same old and the talking points and that was uh reconciliation now the the message and the promise pretty much seemed to be the same the messenger certainly was not the same does that have an impact you know it should it should be more than symbolic and i think mary simon was it it, it just seems kind of awkward that she did the land acknowledgement because my understanding of land acknowledgements is they're supposed to be for the settlers to do (laughs) to acknowledge Mm -hmm. the land rather than somebody who's indigenous but you know she did point out in her statement that was written by the, the prime minister's office that it wasn't supposed to be just symbolic nonetheless um you know what does it mean in real terms you still have the federal government taking um, survivors to court and negotiating deals about uh, compensation Um, and then what does it look like moving forward when you 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 know what let's say let's you know how at one point we should have all the negotiations ended and all the treaties should be resolved but that shouldn't be the end of reconciliation so what does it look like moving forward is it is it about educating ourselves about um, indigenous lifestyles and indigenous histories i mean some provinces do a better job than others Mm -hmm. my understanding is that my education in alberta was actually pretty good uh, compared to others because we did learn about the treaty systems we did have um robust education throughout our elementary schools about uh, indigenous ways of life not so much in eastern on eastern canada they did not focus on that aspect so that ends up becoming provincial responsibility but apart from that what else um does the government plan as opposed to just having talking mm-hmm. points and symbolic measures what does it mean for them to fully embrace reconciliation? And I don't know what the answer to that question is. Was the throne speech something that you believe that um, the Liberals could find a dancing partner with uh, the NDP moving forward here to get some work done? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that's ever going to be in question. The NDP are certainly not going to be the ones to trigger an election campaign. <laughs> um, and so, you know, as, 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 I think we, I, I don't think that this is much of a spoiler alert, but yeah, it's going to pass. <laughs> um, and, and that just is the way it is in Canadian government. Mm. The NDP have less appetite than anybody else to go into another election. So I think that they can be assured of, of their support for the throne speech. Um, but the question will be later on, you know, will they will they be pushing the government further to the left um, in order mm. to get their support? And, and sort of the dance between those two will be interesting in the coming months. Anything that you're specifically watching for in the coming weeks? Yeah, well, I'm, I am bracing myself for, for their policy on climate. I think that they are being punitive um, towards Western Canada. You know, the fact that they've made such a big deal out of... Uh, you know, just deciding that caps on oil and gas is the only way to go, mm. um, not working with, not consulting, not working with the industry, and not even dealing with the other aspects of our economy that contribute just as much to greenhouse gas emissions as does the oil and gas sector. I mean, transportation is a major, yeah. has, has just as much impact. Um, so to, to be focusing on one part of the country that's already been hard hit, I think is really frustrating. I, as a former Albertan, I know how frustrating <laughs> that can be having lived under the National Energy Program. And I think that this is sort of the National Energy Program Part 2, um, almost worse because effectively you have an environment minister who's made it his life work to keep Canadian oil and gas in the ground. At the same time, we still you know, we still run on oil and gas. Yeah. And, and so if we're not getting our own through what would be much less environmentally damaging, quite frankly, in terms of carbon, pipelines are still going to be preferable to uh, to, to, to tankers, to trains, to, to, to trucks. And yet, so if we don't extract it ourselves and pipe it, it means that we're importing it from other countries. There could be the United States, it could be Russia, it could be Saudi Arabia, but uh, we, we're we not going to get rid of our need for oil and gas um, by 2050. No. All right. Uh, Dr. Milchan, I'll have to leave it there this afternoon. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Nice talking to you, Jalen.